for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program and to Hump Day Wednesday. It has just gone 3 p.m. where I'm broadcasting from in Sydney. It is still Tuesday, of course, in the United States and in London, just gone 4 a.m. Welcome wherever you may be listening from. Thank you very much for pressing the play button, which is what we do now. We don't flick anything on. We press the play button. And maybe you're watching as well. You can listen. You can watch now on TNTradio.live. It's week two of our video streaming progress, which can uh, basically access through the app our uh, our radio programs right across the 24-7 spectrum. And you can get that streaming service on Facebook, X, Rumble, YouTube, Odyssey, and a whole myriad of other streaming services. Thank you so much for being part of our new era here at TNTradio.live. Well, the annual international climate change powwow is only a bit over 24 hours away in Dubai. It's basically porn for green zealots, COP28. And one of the demands coming out of the summit will be to change what you eat. Everyone needs to change what they eat, and you'll hear it loudly from COP28. And I'll explain who's running this agenda and why they're running it, because once you start following the money, yeah, you can't start to answer the questions that you pose on the issue. You start to understand why. The Line of Liberty, Brian McWilliams, is on deck shortly. We'll be telling you about another key anti-CO2 measure, an electric vehicle mandate. You see, they want just about every state and every territory right across the world to have an electric vehicle mandate. Now, there was one, of course, in Britain, but they had to drop that. Well, another state in the US has done exactly the same. We'll tell you all about it. We'll discuss the latest move by the president's son, Hunter, who's offered to publicly testify before the feisty House Oversight Committee. Oh, I cannot wait for this. This is like this is like popcorn and soda night. And Elon Musk, front and centre in some serious allegations about racial abuse in the NFL. Where isn't Elon Musk at the moment? If he's not involved in the two wars that are going on, he's involved with racism or the NFL. We'll get to that and get to Brian McWilliams in about five minutes from now. Our officially sanctioned perfume steamroller, Prue McSween, is wound up and ready to go. Well, she was wound up when I spoke to her a little earlier today. We're tackling news of a class action by Indigenous families in Australia who claim that they've become victims of another state-sanctioned stolen generation. What state-sanctioned stolen generation was that? Maybe I wasn't at work the day they announced that. I don't get this one. There's more trouble for the federal government over those now-released criminal detainees, and yet another block of teachers in Australia are being urged by their union to convince their students to stand firmly behind the Palestinians. Nothing like telling both sides of the story in the classroom, is there? Uh, Just on that score, too, by the way, I will be speaking with one of the key organisers in Australia of these pro-Israeli rallies and vigils. Some very interesting insights from a Jewish man who's paused his life, paused his profession to give Australian Jews a voice. 
And it is Cyber Wednesday, which means that Alex Zaharoff-Royt will join us. He's got a house full of news to tell us about, from the latest global scams causing all sorts of headaches internationally, to Elon Musk's new cyber truck. Now he's having fun with his toys, you see. This is the real toy uh, section of his business, X and Tesla. It sounds like something out of the Terminator, cyber truck. We'll get a full explanation from Alex. We'll have to imagine it for the time being. And throughout our two hours together, I'm very happy to take your calls on absolutely any issue. You can jump on some of what I've just mentioned, but you can set the agenda if you like. We value your opinions on our talkback lines, and you can call in. You can call in from this moment on from the US or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. You can call in from the UK, 033-0024-1026, and from Australia or New Zealand on 1-800-670-310. They are our lines. You can take advantage of them from now. You're with Chris Smith, broadcasting live on the global news talk network, tntradio.live. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, world leaders and government representatives, they are in the air as we speak. They're heading off in their carbon dioxide-emitting Learjets as we speak to gather at the annual United Nations Climate Change Summit, or COP28, in Dubai, which begins tomorrow As I've been predicting for the last couple of months now, the weeks leading up to this anti-fossil fuel summit has seen a whole series of doomsday predictions from the climate zealots. They're not talking about two point something degrees Celsius that we're fearful of. Now they're talking about three something. And of course, this year we got global boiling, all gearing up for COP28. You see, this ensures that the climate change ministers from the wealthiest countries who are on their way there now bring their government's unlimited credit card and they can find trillions more then, you see, to change the weather, despite that being scientifically uncertain. And so from tomorrow, we'll be hearing about how Western industrialised nations will be doubling down on their wealth distribution to developing and third world countries, which is what it is because nothing seems to be working. They're not getting the results despite spending trillions. Maybe it's got a little bit more to do with research and development and technologies we don't even have right now. If, of course, you want to demonise carbon dioxide in the first place. And wait until you hear what one United Nations agency wants us all to do, all of us. They want to change the way we eat. Now, they've spoken about it before. You've heard them speak about it. But they are trying to make some rules binding across the world about what we eat. Can you believe this? From Dubai, the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization will present a roadmap, they call it, which will call on the West to dramatically reduce its meat consumption. Yes, if you believe in all this climate alarmism, you should be a vegan if you want to take it To the nth degree, you should be a vegan. According to Bloomberg, the agency will publish its so-called Global Food Systems Plan, which will recommend that nations which overconsume meat, who decides that we're overconsuming or not? Once again, someone has to decide the facts, don't they? Uh, They should now limit their consumption as part of a broader effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But bear in mind, they want to make this binding. Jeremy Kohler, 
the chair and founder of the climate-obsessed FAIR initiative, has said in a recent statement leading up to COP28, the failure of leading meat and dairy companies to reduce emissions underlines the urgent need for more policy focus on the food and agriculture sector. In short, stop your cows belching or stop breeding cattle and stop humans eating meat or else. So are you ready to change your eating habits that drastically? Are you ready to go vegan? I figured you were not. Uh, I won't be giving it a second thought. As a matter of fact, I might actually eat more meat now in protest against what is a stupid, controlling, absurd and minuscule measure to change the earth's temperature. And farmers, too, will be in the firing line once again. The UN agency flogging this roadmap will also highlight how farmers should adapt to erratic weather. You've got to understand the premise that there is erratic weather. And is there any more erratic weather than we've had in our lifetimes? I haven't seen it. Have you? And they've got to tackle their emissions produced from food waste and the use of fertiliser. And they want to make all of this binding. We'll see whether the delegates are that stupid or not in about a week or so. But just like COVID vaccines, you see, the more powerful and wealthy the campaigners are, the greater likelihood that we'll see these eating rules become binding in law. How do they even do that? And the synthetic meat king right now, globally, is none other than Microsoft founder and multi-billionaire Bill Gates. Uh, actually, of all the categories, uh, the one that has gone better than I would have expected five years ago is this work to make what's called artificial meat. And so you have people like Impossible or Beyond Meat, both of which uh, I invested in. You eat it as well? Or do you like it? The Absolutely. You, do. Uh, okay. you can go to uh, Burger King and buy the Impossible Burger. All right. Is it healthier for you or just healthier for the atmosphere? It's, it's slightly healthier for you in terms of less cholesterol. Oh, really? Really? That was Gates four years ago, by the way, and his plastic meat emporium has now become monstrous. Uh, but don't be sucked in by plastic meat being the key to good health. He said, oh, it might do something better for your cholesterol. Well, if you have a fatty cut of meat, he might be right. But you don't have to do much, too much Googling to discover that there is real concern out there amongst food technologists for the repercussions of genetic engineering of cells to produce these synthetic products and the potential for cancer-promoting properties. Won't take you much on Google. Even the way in which animal cells are extracted from living animals, of course, via biopsy, if you know anything about your cattle, it can be a painful procedure for the animal to take a biopsy. But when billions of dollars in revenue is at stake, none of that well, none of that is ever volunteered in interviews like the one Bill Gates did there. Even the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who's been flat out, what, he's had a very busy year. He's been battling this year's illegal migration wave. He's got the homelessness epidemic, uh, uncontrollable crime rates across the state. He's found time to flog plastic meat as well. Here he is earlier this year, yes, in 2023, just in case you missed it, extolling the virtues of fake meat, albeit rather unconvincingly. Food is the third biggest source of cities' emissions 
right after builders and transportation. But all food is not created equal. The vast majority of food that is contributing to our emission crisis lies in meat and dairy products. If that wasn't someone else's speech that Eric was basically told to read, I am an astronaut. He doesn't know anything about this field. So why is the mayor of New York even talking about it? But you see, this is what happens in the era of green evangelism. Civic leaders jump on to the in-fashion virtue signalling issue to exhibit their love for the environment. Well, you can be extremely in love with the environment without falling for the fake meat campaign. At least US Republicans are fighting back against this invasive government reprogramming of consumption. Let's hope they keep at it, by the way. But back to COP28, do not be surprised when you hear how a long list of nations sign up to some kind of new green pact to formulate government policy to lower meat consumption and cow methane. You watch. So far, farmers have stood resolute against any major changes, especially in the Netherlands and Ireland. And meat eaters should do the same. That would be my advice. But we'll hear the same old lectures from the UN in Dubai. Please ditch animal-based diets and instead choose plant-based foods, which can reduce a person's annual carbon footprint, they say, by up to 2.1 tonnes. I wonder how much we can reduce the carbon footprint of all the delegates attending these these talk fests, like COP28. What would we save each year, I wonder? Save the Learjets and all that CO2 and the VIP treatment they all receive because they could just do it on Zoom, like most major business agreements are done on Zoom. Maybe at next year's COP29 summit, they'll find that all these efforts to reduce cow farts and meat eating make no difference to the reduction of CO2, make no difference to the temperature of the planet, and they'll just find another hobby horse, maybe something like reducing the population of the world. Oh, hang on. The WEF has already said that, haven't they? Sorry about that. This is TNT Radio. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I know the situation, and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. um, Since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, So it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, But over the last few months, both of those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website. 
thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. After discussing what the WEF really want to do, which is reduce the population of the world so we could save the planet for a greatly reduced number of people, work that out, I noticed that Pelly has come forward and, oh, no, no, not Pelly. No, it's Carol. Carol has suggested this. Carol says, the shocking reality of evil is that the satanic elites want to eradicate 90% of humanity by 2028 and submit the survivors to a demonic system that would leave no escape. Support stopworldcontrol.com, stopworldcontrol.com, and spread the truth through tntradio.live. Well said, Carol. Thank you very much. And Pelly did say, fake meat can go and get you know where. Uh, I will keep eating my scotch fillet and ribeyes until the day I die. Bill Gates with his fake meat and his COVID-19 push can go and shove it. I'm with you. Thank you so much for that. On the eve of COP28, it's interesting to note the harsh realities of applying radical green rules and regulations in any community. And I've given you a whole heap of uh, anecdotes about the grand ideology that didn't quite cut it. And I'm talking about the number of offshore wind farms that didn't make the cut when they started to build it. And there are other examples, including electric vehicles. Take Connecticut, where Democrat Governor Led Lamott uh, has been forced to withdraw his plan to mandate future electric vehicle purchases. You see, that's the big push. It started in Britain. Boris Johnson started this. We will do it by 2030 and 2035. No more petrol cars will be bought after 2030. Oh, didn't quite work that way, huh? You mean the manufacturing sector couldn't keep up with that kind of demand, and you mean that the prices for people were too steep so they couldn't afford it anyway, and so the likelihood is that the idealism ends up seeing no one driving cars and no one having a car. Well, that didn't quite work out, so Rishi Sunak hit that on the head. Thank you, Boris. But this is what Connecticut were forced to do, come up with an electric vehicle mandate after the proposal received bipartisan pushback from lawmakers on a key legislative panel. The Regulation Review Committee, God bless them, was supposed to take a vote this morning regarding the proposed electric vehicle mandate, but Governor Lamont took the proposal off the table, citing a lack of support. In other words, it didn't make any practical sense. Um, like offshore wind farms, the ones near New Jersey that won't be going ahead, the ones near Sweden that won't be going ahead, uh, the ones north of Sydney that won't be going ahead, the ones south of Sydney that won't be going ahead. Um, because when it gets down to the crunch and the cost of renewables and the preeminent demand for reliable energy, all of this evangelism falls on its face. Let's bring in our regular Wednesday guest live from LA to discuss this and much more. Brian McWilliams is Communications Director of the Libertarian Party, which is America's third largest political party. He's a native Philadelphian, a comedian, an expert in public relations and communication, and can be heard on the weekly podcast, The Lions of Liberty. Brian McWilliams, welcome back to TNT Radio. 
Good to be here, Chris. Looking forward to drinking that meat sludge with you sometime in person. I know we've been putting off clinking our champagne glasses, but someday we're going to make it happen, man. We will make it happen, and we'll get one of those tomahawk steaks. You know the ones that are about three inches thick? We'll just rub it right in. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. Um, As I mentioned in my editorial at the start of the program, this obsession for net zero carbon encompasses just about everything, including now what we eat, and we'll hear more about it during COP28. Doesn't this come down to an intent to reduce the population? Well, it certainly seems that that is the intent, and it makes it doubly scary when you think about how much land Bill Gates owns, one of, of course, the primary drivers for the green energy push, for climate change pushes, for uh, the transition, as you mentioned earlier, away from meat to a vegetable diet. He is the primary owner of farmland in the country, which makes you worried that if something goes awry, let's say, with the food supply, Bill Gates could certainly be behind it. We know for a long time these people have wanted to reduce the population, even though it does seem that it's going to naturally peak, I believe, the year they said was around 2028. Now, whether that comes true or not, I don't know. But it certainly seems like we don't need to take steps to reduce a population currently. And On another note, Chris, something I always think about when they talk about a transition to a plant-based diet and how this is going to reduce emissions, if we do transfer all of that that cow-owned farmland where these cows, yes, are farting, but they're also eating the grass in a very uh, safe way, they're not polluting themselves, we're not using additional farming products, we're not using additional uh, machinery to process the food, to ship the food. I mean, you think about the cost involved in this, and then you add in the war that they have on these nitrogen-based fertilizers, yeah. which allow us to grow so much of this food. So how exactly is this going to work if they're going to deny us the, the most useful tools in, fossil, or in uh, fertilization and then have some plan in place to, to, to supply the chains that the world is going to require if we all switch to a vegetarian diet? None of it really practically makes sense. It's just this pie-in-the-sky concept that breaks down under any examination similar to a transition to purely electric cars. Yeah. Well, let's get to that. I, I hate it when state governments try and to force their populations to do something that suits them, but they ha- haven't actually asked their voters. Uh, you'd be encouraged by this development in Connecticut with the electric vehicle mandate now off the table, wouldn't you? Well, I would, I'm encouraged that maybe some sanity can spread to California where we still still are looking at a mandate because we lead the nation in stupid ideas. However, Thomas Massey really did a great job fighting against this on the on the floor of the House. And he basically made the uh, the equation where if you think about how if every every household had one electric car, let's say that already would put a massive strain on the nationwide grid. And here in California, we have brownouts constantly just to people run their air conditioning. So now. How are we supposed to supply not only a car in every garage, but let's say two cars, if you have a two-family household and both people have to work, especially here in California or Connecticut, where housing prices aren't cheap. And on top of that, you've got your air conditioning, your refrigeration, uh, your your stoves are now being tr- you know attempted to be forced away from gas and onto electric. There's no possible way any grid, I don't care where you are, is going to be able to stand up to that level of energy consumption. So in Connecticut... Thank God they saw the light. You know, thank God they said, let's pump the brakes on this because this is just a stupid idea on its face and let the market hopefully take that in, usher in the era where it's going to make sense financially. I mean, I could go on and on. I don't want to go too much in this topic, but everything from the battery cost to replacing the battery cost and use EVs to mining the batteries with the rare minerals and the rare earths that we don't have in the United States. 
nothing about this is going to allow us to have cheap, affordable uh, electric cars that aren't going to destroy our grid and destroy our economy at the same time. I was speaking to a couple who are friends of the family. I hope they're not listening. But they were telling me about this fabulous Tesla that they bought and how wonderful it was and all the technology it had. They didn't talk too much about the fact that it was um, purely running on a battery. That didn't seem – apparently the wife was very much into saving the planet. So she got herself a, an EV. And I said, well – and I knew that they they went um, about 10 hours north from their home each and every Christmas to celebrate Christmas with their family who are – uh, in Queensland. And I said to them, oh, look how big this car is. It's going to be fantastic to put all the kids stuff in. You'll be able to go to this location again. Oh, no, 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 no. We we, we can't take the car. I said, why can't you take the car? Because we, we, we know that it only goes half the distance. It only goes four and a half hours. And once we get to that four and a half hour spot, well, we've really got to go three and a half hours because that's where the only charges are. And we've got to get in line for those charges. So we've got to probably spend a couple of nights there until the car's charged. And then we can go another three and a half hours where the next major centre has charging uh, applications and then charge. And I said, right, so what are you doing? Oh, we're flying there. We're all on a plane <laughs> instead. So much for saving the planet. Uh, this is the the thing I've heard time and time again, and it's been tested time and time again, including by members of state governments, um, you know, transportation directors who've tried to make this trip. I mean, I believe it's actually one of the the CEOs of Ford had tried to do it in their uh, Ford Volt, I think it was called, and found the exact same issue. The charging stations are infrequent. And if you do manage to get one, you book a whole trip to go and take the family up north. There's no guarantee the charging stations are even going to work. No. Because there's no real infrastructure, there's no real operation to quickly and easily be able to service them to get them up and running, at least not this point in time. Maybe it's something I should invest in. But yeah, it, it, there's no way you can utilize these cars for anything but short trips. It's like you might as well just own a golf cart at that point because <laughs> yeah. you're not going to be going anywhere, you know, anywhere far in it. Uh, you, yeah, you don't a golf cart. You don't even get a game of golf in. That's that's the worst thing about it. <laughs> All right, we've got to take a break. I've got to get some news, and we'll come back a stack to talk about on the program today with Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty. Let's uh, go to the newsroom right now on TNT Radio. Real news. <laughs> TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Sweden could become a full-fledged member of NATO within weeks after Turkey Air signalled it was ready to ratify the Nordic nation's accession. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has come under fire for failing to stand up for Australian soldiers following this month's run-in with a Chinese warship. And a new bombshell report has revealed the CIA has recovered at least nine UFOs, two of which are said to be completely intact. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. On the chat box, which of course you can participate in, have your comments and exchange your views with other very intelligent and smart and sharp listeners on TNTradio.live. You can do so on the website. Chris has done so, and he says carbon capture is another big fat lie being spruiked by those who would imprison us. Why would you want to capture carbon? It's the gas of life and only equates to 0.04% of the atmosphere. Without carbon, plants die. Plants die, we die. This is the biggest lie, mass hysteria, ever imposed on the population. Carbon greens the planet. 
Thank you, Chris, for your contribution. Appreciate all of that. And Jason is interested to see us drink the meat sludge, Brian. Um, and he also says that you're a funny man, but very intelligent, but very intelligent. You mean fu- you can be funny and intelligent, Jason. <laughs> it's not a but, but I understand what you were saying. Uh, the Walt Disney Company has admitted that uh, wokeness and culture wars have had major impacts across the company. In its latest Securities and Exchange Commission filing, the company says, we face risks related to misalignment with public and consumer tastes and preferences. <laughs> that is putting it mildly, Brian. I mean, yeah, mildly is right. Misalignment. Oh, you go. Misalignment is a swing and a miss on all your content with 50% of the population. Yep. I mean, just and that's even being that's even being too generous. You're talking probably 70% of the population for much of what they're they're pushing here. I mean, a misalignment like that, Chris, if it happened in the bedroom, is gonna get you slapped in the face, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and Disney has screwed up, right? To continue the point here, they have screwed up royally. But it, it it's interesting to see this very tacit acknowledgement of, look, we completely misread the environment. We misread the public. I mean, it's shocking for a company like Disney, so many billions of dollars that they have zero concepts, zero marketing teams, zero survey or search functions to find out what people actually want to see. And say, okay, at the beginning, they sacrificed it on the altar of wokeism. But I've been saying this whole time, you're only going to be able to do that for so long, especially with Vanguard and groups like that tapering back on their investments. So yeah, it's it's shocking to see it, but it, it's obviously the reality that they're faced right now. So off the planet and so, I guess, inside their own bubble that they don't understand what their customers want, that's really dangerous. Now, in a speech today, I found this fascinating. Russian President Vladimir Putin said, schools and universities in the West have abandoned the liberal arts in favour of gender studies and other pseudoscientists. How can Putin have such insight? He should be in charge of the American education system. See, it's it's illuminating remarks like this, which is why people in the West really fear Putin more than anything, right? It's got to be that he's cutting to the quick of <laughs> the problems here. If only, you know, Putin should honestly, he should run the United States Department of Education. He's got my vote right away because he's absolutely right. You look at the degrees these people are coming out with, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion degrees, degrees in you know, lesbian, trans, Eskimo studies, absolutely worthless in a real world environment. And I can't remember if we dove into this a little bit on a previous episode, but these degrees are essentially only useful in think tanks that our government funds that are that are existed purely now to provide a home for these worthless students to green stamp whatever idiotic proposals they want to put out there and of course keep the money trough flowing but in the real practical sense yeah we're losing a culture we're losing a written language we're losing just a basic sense of i guess the history that allowed us to become uh, a nation like america or a nation like australia uh, that does thrive on open democracy, on freedom of speech, on freedom of ideas. And instead of transitioning us away from great thinkers under the guise of racism, right? And into this era of we have to reinvent everything from the get-go because of systematic oppression. So they want to literally start over. I mean, the Great Reset is not just a concept. It is it is literally insidious into everything, including education. And yep. Vladimir Putin has hit the nail on the head. Hasn't he what? Now, let's go to Paris The mayor, Anne Hidalgo, has announced her intention to leave X, otherwise known as Twitter, saying the social media company is an impressive tool for destroying our democracies. This is the socialist mayor talking, Brian. 
you know, this smacks of I'm going to take my ball and go home because <laughs> you don't want to play the game my way. Yeah. Right. Doesn't it doesn't it seem like that? Because these European Union nations have tried to change the rules of Twitter ever since Elon Musk took over. They didn't have a problem before because yep. Jack or whoever was controlling the, the, you know, the flow of information. All of them, the EU in particular. Yep. Yep. They would play ball. Twitter would would bend the knee. And Elon Musk has said, no, we're not going to be doing that. We're going to have free speech. We're going to fight back if you try to, to ban hate speech or ban whatever speech you define as hate speech, which I don't know if you saw this. We didn't talk about it before the show, uh, but, you know, the Irish now in the wake of these uh, what they'll call the riots, but really protests in Dublin have brought up another anti-hate speech bill, which essentially seeks to criminalize anything deemed to be troubling or hateful towards people. Of course, it's a very wide range of, uh, of interpretations. So naturally, you're seeing these people, these leaders want to flee something that they can no longer control. Yeah. So this this Parisian mayor, good, get lost. Hey, no one's going to miss you on there. No, you're going to find a platform that you can control. That's that's what it boils down to. Yeah, correct. Goodbye, good riddance. Well, I don't need to block you now. That saves me. Uh, that saves me a couple of um, clicks off with my finger. Uh, one here, Alex has sent us a message on the chat box saying people should just leave X without announcing it. X does not have a departure lounge. If you're going to go, <laughs> just go. I love it. Uh, talking about Elon, he's um. He slammed a well-known blog this week after one of its writers claimed a Kansas City Chiefs fan was wearing blackface at a football game over the weekend. A writer on the blog, Deadspin, made claims of racism. But what is the real story here? Well, this guy is saying, and I'll say Deadspin's a very left-wing sports publication. I know it sounds odd because you think, you don't think the lefties being super into sports, but that's what it is. Uh, he's essentially saying that a child and this kid looked to be about, I would say, seven to 10, somewhere in between there, who would, by the way, had support from black players on the field. He was doing a kind of a Native American war chant with, you know, tomahawk chop. The players on the field who are African-American or black, they are with him doing it. He has half his face painted black, half his face painted red, which are the colors of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh -huh. Of course, any sane person. Would look at this and say the kid's just having fun he's trying to support his team correct this writer decides oh right i mean but this writer decided to call him not one form of racist for wearing the black what he called uh, blackface but two kinds for also wearing the red to insult the native dark. americans <laughs> so this guy sought out takes a screenshot and literally now is seeking out to ruin not only this kid's experience, but he called him, he said he he exhibited two different kinds of hate. He found a way to have two different types of racist hatred. So he's projecting on this young child that he's a racist when he simply is having a good time. You think about the mentality of these people what to destroy this kid's this kid's life, right? To destroy the experience. And now the fallout from that is going to be something that, you know, we'll see what Deadspin has to deal with. Isn't it interesting if you don't find something that offends you those people who need to be offended will find something eventually, even if it is a child, to be nasty to and be a pedant over their behaviour. Like, seriously, give the kid a break. Get rid of that bloke, dead spin or whatever he calls it. Um, my guest yesterday, Brian, Natalie Beisner, commented on the upcoming DeSantis-Newsom TV debate scheduled for Thursday. I'd like your insight, insight on this. This is rather bizarre that... Newsom, who's definitely not running for president, would be in a presidential-like debate with a presidential 
candidate. What's going on here? It does seem a little strange, right, that this man is traveling to China, is trying to get some foreign policy chops, is now sitting down for what does look like a presidential debate. And in the meantime, running advertisements in Florida about California and other states as well. It's bizarre. But what's what's an interesting tidbit, because I know Natalie went into this fairly deeply, is that the L.A. Times, which, of course, is a very left leading publication here in California and uh, and one of Newsom's lapdogs, if I'm being perfectly honest, they called Republican candidate Larry Elder, a black man, the black face of white supremacy when he dared to run against Gavin Newsom during the recall. It's fascinating that right now they just had an article come out talking about how covid if you compare DeSantis's Florida and California, actually had very similar results. Now, Newsom has been campaigning on how California had a much better outcome, right? Overall deaths. The new findings, LA Times reporting this shocked me for the timing before this debate as well. They found that there was virtually no difference. And an additional study that can in comorbidities like diabetes, um, like you know, different uh, aspects of asthma or, or different age-related maladies, found that California had a 34% worse outcome during COVID. <laughs> Despite the now, iron hand of lockdowns, they just don't work. Amazing, isn't it? So <laughs> it, it's fascinating, the timing of this. And one has to wonder, my conspiracy mind has to wonder what Gavin Newsom did to piss off the LA Times <laughs> right before this debate. <laughs> I, had a, I had a private chat with a professor recently at a function, and he was saying the whole idea of locking down was never part of the national pandemic plan. We had one, apparently. No one followed it, but uh, there was one. And he said there was no there was no chance that in a pandemic we would lock entire households down and not, not allow people to go to the park and be 100 metres from someone. And then if you were, you'd uh, end up in the back of the police paddy wagon. No, 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 no. None of that. As a matter of fact, the idea that you'd lock people down only ensured that those who had COVID passed it on to everyone in the household. And he was aghast at the whole approach. He thought that our copycat approach to what happened in Wuhan was what tripped up the entire world. Yeah, absolutely. And California was really the first major domino to fall. I mean, if you look at all of the policies that were adopted pretty much from there on, California led the way in locking down and closing the schools up in mandatory masking, in closing businesses. I mean, they really, Gavin Newsom led the way in shuttering America. And now he's out on an apology tour, essentially, especially now that these numbers are coming out saying, well, you know, it wasn't really us at the governor's level. It was the local you know, municipality that had the real choice, which is nonsense. Rubbish. Top down, Gavin Newsom, for sure, tried to control California. He told he, he gave the marching orders and everybody here followed along with yep. very few exceptions. Very true. I, I've left the best to last, right? Now, the president's son, Hunter, has agreed to testify publicly before the House Oversight Committee on the 13th of December. I've written written it in my diary already. I've got my soda and my popcorn ready. The subpoena was originally for a closed-door deposition, um, but I think making it public is wonderfully transparent, and wow, what a show this is going to be. I mean, I can't wait to see what it's going to happen. I can't imagine that Hunter... As much as they may coach him up, and as you know, I do public relations, we do media training, I can't see Hunter Biden holding up under that scrutiny. He's going to say something wrong. He's going to screw up. And if he doesn't, it's going to be very bland, milquetoast answers that are going to seem even more suspicious and guilty than if he actually did just say what actually happened. Now, the big question to me 
is whether or not Hunter Biden's going to be able to tolerate that pressure and not relapse into his old ways. And you know what I'm talking about there. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if if when it came to the day of something happened where this mysteriously turns into a closed doors event. But I certainly hope it doesn't. I certainly want to see him up there tap dancing and uh, and see what he has to say when the bright lights are shining down upon uh, the crack. And I want to see the crack start to smoke. And answer some real questions. See, it's interesting, you know, the reason that, you know, the elites tend to fall over, I've always thought, I've had this theory, is because they get arrogant. It's like politicians. Mm-hmm. They think that they run their portfolio. Therefore, what they do is the most important thing in the nation. But it's not, of course. No one gives a damn. And they don't have any uh, experience to do what they're doing anyway. But it's all about arrogance, uh, Brian, you know. And and I ha- actually think the fact that he's put his hand up to go public with his testimony tells me that he's arrogant and he's going to fall flat in his face. I think you're right. I mean, this guy, you think about where this guy's been his entire life. Nothing he has done has ever come around to haunt him. I mean, he's not in jail despite the, the arms charges, despite being a crazy drug deal, you know, crackhead, despite all this money, you know, financial uh, strings that are attached to everything. The guy never has anything come to bite him. So why would he think differently? You know, I mean, he's selling art for $500,000 a piece for Pete's sake that we know is just garbage, you know, blowing it out the straw that he puts in his nose. So I I hope <laughs> we see something spectacular. Give me a Christmas miracle early. What is it? December 13th. Is that the date? <laughs> yes. It's a 10 day early Christmas present. Love it. I've got it in the diary. Brian McWilliams, great to have you on the program again, mate. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Talk soon. All right, there you go. Brian McWilliams from LA, and you can catch him on his own weekly podcast, The Lions of Liberty. Um, Also, of course, as I mentioned, he is the communications director of the Libertarian Party, America's third largest political party. What do you think about all of that? How do you think Hunter will go? What are your views on that? What are your views on all of a sudden the electric vehicle mandates fall over like a stack of playing cards isn't it interesting they come up with these ideologically view ideological views about how we're going to live our lives making sure that everything we do and everything that we are participate in takes into consideration doing less of the CO2 emission stuff. And so we've got to actually mandate and make rules for it. But of course, once government does that, it doesn't take into consideration market rules. That is, can the market supply the commodity you need? That is electric cars. Can people afford them? Has the market put that particular product in that level of availability for someone who doesn't have too much money? Well, you can jump the gun so easily when you start to put mandates in and they are falling over everywhere around the world, just like offshore wind farms falling over everywhere around the world. The evangelical green nirvana sounds fantastic when you hold a press conference, but it's only when you get down to tin tacks and start to work out the logistical impracticalities of it, you realise you've got to abandon the nirvana. And that's what's happening absolutely everywhere across the world. Let's take a break and take your calls, hopefully. If you want to dial in from the US or Canada, the number one triple eight two zero one six four two five. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. 
Last week, Donald Trump took to Truth Social to spell out why he believes it's imperative that voters pull the lever for him over Joe Biden in a little less than a year from now. The stakes in this election could not be higher. Next November, you have a choice between war, poverty, and weakness under crooked Joe Biden, or peace, prosperity, and strength under President Donald J. Trump. Just three years ago, our economy was booming, the world was safe, and America was strong. And now? Under crooked Joe Biden, the economy is in a shambles and the world is going up in flames. Real incomes have gone down by $7,400 per family. Under crooked Joe, gas prices are four, five, six, and $7 a gallon. Cumulative inflation is nearly 20%, and mortgage rates are pushing a brutal 7%, 8%, 9%, 10%, and you can't get the money. And that's not the worst part. We have war in Europe, we have wars in the Middle East, and we are stumbling into World War III. That's what's going to happen with this leadership, because they don't know what they're doing. The contrast could not be more stark. And all of what you just heard couldn't be more true. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio Vision. The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving and get away with it, think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello. So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone, you can stop it or cop it. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You know, you can't help but see eventful disasters that occur. Not bad disasters, but just unfortunate events occur that become symbolic of that time or symbolic of that place. And I'm saying that because what happened outside the White House on Tuesday is so symbolic of the Biden administration. If you haven't caught up with the news, an ill wind knocked over the national Christmas tree. Now, I don't want to see Christmas trees knocked over. I'm just stating the facts here. An ill wind knocked over the national Christmas tree outside the White House Tuesday afternoon, two days before it was set to be officially lit by President Biden. Maybe the Christmas tree itself didn't think it wanted to be lit by Joe Biden because just in case he, well, something went wrong, maybe he lit part of the tree that sent the whole tree up in flames. Stranger things have happened. Um, The stately 40-foot spruce, which had been delivered to the White House just south of the executive mansion on November 14, fell at about 2 p.m., according to officials. Work crews scrambled to salvage the tree and get it set upright with a crane. It was not immediately clear whether the already decorated tree would be salvageable for Thursday's lighting ceremony, a tradition which is celebrating its centennial this year, of course. The National Park Service did not... immediately respond to a request for comment. Some conservative wags were quick to needle the Biden administration over the tree's fall. Um, One here from the uh, House Judiciary GOP, perfectly summing up Joe Biden's presidency. 
Thank you for that. Um, and there were others that I won't go into. National Christmas tree falls down, perfectly summing up his presidency. Meanwhile, the US Capitol tree lighting ceremony carried on as scheduled Tuesday evening. The tree comes down one day after the White House unveiled its decorations for the Christmas season. Isn't that symbolic of what has been a troublesome 2023 where Joe Biden, very seriously now, has collapsed in terms of his mental aptitude within the job. And there have been scenes right throughout the year, both on the ground at home and abroad, where Joe has been an absolute embarrassment and they've got to put him out of his misery. And I'm not saying, of course, take the horse approach, but they've got to take him out of the White House quick smart, um, maybe even before the end of next year, because it is an international embarrassment. Now, we spoke before about how Disney had admitted that it kind of misaligned what its customers really wanted and, as a result, have basically not gone broke but certainly been financially damaged by going woke. Well, how's this for Kmart? Kmart has become the, the butt of the joke after one of its shoppers spotted a children's Christmas book she deemed inappropriate. Kian, who goes by Kellyanne on TikTok, was shopping for books for her children last week at a Kmart in Sydney, Australia, when she spotted the title Santa's Stuck. Now, now the board book's cover features a picture of Santa stuck inside a chimney with his butt, and I must say it's a big butt, which is made of squishy material and sticks out through a hole in each page, is the main character. It's all about Santa's butt. Ho, ho, help, reads a thought bubble aimed at Santa's butt on the cover. So I'm here at Kmart, right? The mum of two said in her TikTok, which has booked over 18,000 views. I'm in the children's book area, as you can see. The children's book area. And I stumble upon this, she continued and pointed to the book. This is not for kids, she said. Maybe a sensory book, but this is not right for kids. The TikToker turned off the comments on the 36-second clip. Uh, the New York Post reached out to her and Kmart for comment, but as yet they haven't received any. Santa is stuck up the chimney and he needs help getting out, so you've got to poke his butt with your fingers. Uh, each side, like, how do I describe it without making people sick? You've got to push his butt cheek and then his other butt cheek through the chimney, throughout the story in the book to save Santa. Sorry. How ridiculous. You wonder why the likes of Kmart, Target in particular, and Disney have had such a horrid year. It's when they decide that things like that are suitable for children. They are not. Now, we've got more uh, hostages released, as you may have heard in our news. We've been following it all day. Hamas released 12 additional hostages from captivity on Tuesday. Uh, as I understand it, that is the fifth group to be released, which is great. It included an 84-year-old grandmother of 20. An 84-year-old grandmother of 20. And the daughter of Holocaust survivors who taught Israel Israelis Arabic to try and help improve relations with her Gazan neighbours. Well, if there's any justice in this world, justice came to the 84-year-old very, very appropriately. 
She's been teaching Israelis Arabic to try and help improve relations with her Gazan neighbours. What a good story. So far, Hamas has freed 81 hostages since the ceasefire deal began Friday. Um, can I just point out there are still more hostages under the ground in captivity than there are free now. Let's not get carried away by this. There are still more in captive, in the captive arms of Hamas than there are free. Why wouldn't they just release the entirety of the hostages in one go? Can someone please tell me why that couldn't happen? Because I haven't heard a decent argument for that. I have read everything on this subject. I've read newspapers in the Middle East, newspapers in the United States, newspapers in Europe, commentary about the release of hostages, and no one has a reason as to why they can't release these hostages today. I wouldn't trust Hamas as far as I could throw them. And if you listen to the audio, go and have a look yourself. Go and listen to the audio of when these hostages are released. Have a look at the smiling faces, gleaming, gleaming faces. And have a listen, though, to the audio. And I came across a story that said what they were being asked to do by their Arabic Hamas captors was to wave, 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 they were asked over and over again, and they smile broadly. It's a complete and utter setup. That's what it is. Do not for one second get carried away with any of these hostages broadly smiling like as if they've just had a, a holiday at a resort. They have not. They have not. So far, they've released 81, with Israel releasing 147 Palestinian prisoners in return. Um, so they're the numbers. The peaceful pause has been extended until Wednesday when at least 10 more hostages are expected to be released, but that's still 91. So you've got still 150 in the presence of Hamas underground. And that is absolutely, after 52 days, that is absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Um, negotiators are pursuing talks to extend the ceasefire until at least Friday. Well, there's another 10. Still, you haven't got to the halfway mark. Anyway, um, there were there were young, there was a teenager in that, a young girl by the name of Mia, 17, who was kidnapped by Hamas gunmen in a very aggressive fashion, according to most reports. Um, the family were on a holiday in Sakot when they were forced to hide in the home safe room as the terrorist attack began and Mia and other kin were captured. Mia is a student at the Jerusalem High School of Arts and Gabriella, her sister, is the director of a ranch for autistic adults in Jerusalem. These people are good, honest people. They should not have to endure this complete and utter outrageous hostage situation under the guise of making a point for the Palestinian people. Hamas and the Palestinian people need to be separated. That's all I know. We'll talk a little bit further about what's going on in Gaza and Gaza City, and in particular this pause a little later in the program. Do not go anywhere. Um, next hour on the program, we will come up and speak with the feisty Prue McSween and more. Don't go away. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio.